Greetings in Jesus name. Welcome to Leadership Talk podcast. It is a joy to have you here. This is a podcast designed to equip and strengthen the leadership skills that God has deposited on the inside of you. Some of you may be in church ministry leadership, others may be in family leadership or in leadership roles at your respective careers. Whatever the Lord has entrusted you with, he wants you to do it with utmost care and greatest amount of faithfulness. For this morning's episode, I would like to play a particular chapter from a book that I've been reading. It's titled Didn't See It Coming by Carrie Newhoff. Carrie himself is an influential pastor, podcaster and a thought leader. And he has a podcast exclusively for leaders called the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, which you should check out. He does a lot of interviews and conversations with amazing influential people around the world. And it will definitely inspire you, provoke you and make you think different about your leadership style, your structure and any areas of concern that needs to be fixed. Carrie's book, Didn't See It Coming, is a book that every leader needs to read or listen to to be changed and receive fresh inspiration. He in fact deals with seven major problems, major stumbling blocks that leaders face. And I hope that this particular chapter where he talks about burnout and how to identify that you are going through a burnout this will bless you and as a result of it, it will in fact provoke you to go pick up this book and read it in its entirety. Study it if possible and subscribe to his leadership podcast and it will definitely be a blessing to each and every one of you. I hope you're ready. Let's tune in to the reading of chapter 11 from this book, Didn't See It Coming by Carrie Newhoff. Chapter 11 like falling off a cliff. How to know when you're burning out. It was 2006. My family and I had just landed back in Toronto after being at North Point Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. You may never have heard of North Point Church, but I certainly had. Known for pioneering an amazing ministry, this church had been on my radar for a few years. In 2005, I met Reggie Joyner, a brilliantly creative thinker and leader. We became fast friends, and he introduced me to his boss, Andy Stanley, who had become a hero to me over the years as I followed him from a thousand miles away. In my view, and the view of many others, Andy is one of the most gifted communicators and leaders of this generation. Reggie invited me to speak at a conference at North Point in May 2006. At first I thought, well, he'll want me to do a breakout session at the event, but then he told me that no, he had bigger plans. Could you do a keynote, he asked. If you know the church world even a little bit, you know that that's kind of like being invited to play in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I can still vividly replay in my mind the day I spoke, refining and revising my words endlessly, practicing the talk in front of my wife and kids for the hundredth time, ironing my shirt to perfection in the hotel room. I thought I was ready, but my nerves went a little ballistic when during the sound check, the staff handed me my mic pack and it had Andy written on it. I got introduced 
And as I took the stage in front of 2,500 leaders from around the world, I looked at the front row to see my wife and boys seated next to Reggie and Andy. Talk about intimidating. So what happened? By most accounts, the talk went well. Very well. The phrase Grand Slam Home Run was used more than a few times. More than a decade later, people still talk to me about that keynote. A few people referred to it as the talk of my life, which is a wonderful mixed bag compliment. I mean, it's nice to peak at 40 and have everything go downhill from there. In many ways, I felt like I was at the top of the world. I had just spoken at one of the most influential churches in America, and apparently I'd done well. I was leading the fastest growing in one of the largest churches in our denomination in Canada. Our ministry had attracted national attention, which apparently was expanding to international attention. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Nothing prepared me for what happened next. When the plane touched down in Toronto, I felt like I fell off a cliff. Throughout my 30s, people told me that if I wasn't careful, I would burn out. I wasn't the best listener because I was, well, smarter than they were. Other, weaker people might burn out, but I knew myself well enough and the work I was doing was important enough that it would never happen to me. I thought I had come to the edge of burnout a few times, but I had seen the precipice each time and managed to pull myself back from it. I got some rest, took a vacation, scaled my hours back for a season, and voila, problem solved. I thought I could just do that forever, until I couldn't. That's the thing about burnout. Once you fall off the cliff, there's nothing to grab onto anymore. You're in free fall, and all the grasping and clamoring you do doesn't help a bit. For the first time in my life, I was hurtling headlong into the abyss. Burnout is complicated. So what exactly happened to me in that summer of 2006? I still ask myself that question. Who really knows what corrodes the soul to the point where it disintegrates? To be honest, on this side of heaven, I'm not sure I'll ever be 100% certain of what happened. Burnout is complicated. But I do know this. In caring for others, I had not adequately cared for my own heart and soul or let others who wanted to care for me do so. I spiraled down for about three months before I hit bottom. I had been running hard for over a decade. Okay, maybe for three decades. Ambition tends to do that to you. I was the teenager who worked three jobs, not because I had to, but because I wanted to. I was the A student who completed three university degrees while holding down multiple jobs, getting married, and starting a family. I was the young pastor who didn't understand the word no, all the while thinking sleep and exercise were for people who had time for those things. My accumulated fatigue played a big role, but burnout is deeper than that. In addition to the physical component, there were spiritual, relational, and emotional components as well. Those were things I didn't pay much attention to until they ganged up on me and brought my life to a screeching halt. Spiritually, I found myself in bizarre territory. I never lost my faith. I never stopped reading the scriptures, and I still prayed. It's just that in the numbness that accompanied my burnout, I couldn't feel my faith anymore. I prayed, 
but it seemed like my prayers bounced off the ceiling. I read scripture, but I no longer sensed that scripture was reading me. Relationally, it also felt strange. I felt like I had spent at least a decade with people taking small slices out of me. That's what leadership and life can be like sometimes if you're not careful. You know the feeling. It's like everybody just wants a piece of you, just a few minutes of your time, just a little advice, just a moment to look something over. And you give and give and give without replenishing. And eventually, there's nothing left. The emotional component of my burnout might have been the deepest. I'd been going through counseling, and while in the long run it was tremendously helpful, in the interim it was deeply painful. Over a period of years, I'd come to realize that so much of my interior life was skewed. Thankfully, there was no headline, no affair, no stolen money, nothing that would attract anyone's attention. But there was an abundance of insecurity, jealousy, and fear, and a deep misunderstanding of identity and fulfillment. I began to realize that at some point in my childhood, I'd concluded that love was earned by performance. The better I did, the more loved I would be. That's not how love works at all, of course. But as a young, ambitious leader, I didn't know that. This distorted perspective led me into the unhealthy cycle of performance addiction, a bad disease for a public speaker. I would finish a message on Sunday and ask my wife how it was. The exchange would always go something like this. Hey, what do you think of today's message, hon? It was good. Good, like as in just good? You, you didn't think it was great? Sure, it was really good. Great, I think. But really, do you mean that? Like how great? Well, I think you helped a lot of people. It was a solid treatment of scripture. Your delivery was strong. Yeah, but was it like really great? Even as I say those words now, it feels like a conversation between an adult and a six-year-old. But then that's what happens with a lack of emotional maturity. The insecurity was deep enough that, as my wife pointed out on more than one occasion, no words were big enough or comprehensive enough to fill the void. There would never be enough people, never enough thank yous, never enough recognition to fill the hole deep inside. Apparently, it wasn't even enough to have my family, Reggie Joyner and Andy Stanley, in the front row raving about my talk along with thousands of others. It doesn't matter how much water you pour into your bucket if your bucket is filled with holes. A Long Dark Summer all of that, and probably much more, went into my collapse that summer of 2006. Within a month after I got off the plane in Toronto, my slide into the abyss was moving fast. My energy dropped to historic lows. So did my motivation and my mood. The drive that used to get me up early in the morning disappeared. And while I never stayed in bed all day, there were days when I felt I could. My productivity tanked because most of what I do as a pastor is intellectual and relational. It's 100% dependent on the mental and spiritual energy I bring to my work. There was very little of either left. I found sermon writing difficult, connecting with people challenging, and even basic things like answering email next to impossible. I started to develop a sort of anthropophobia, a fear of people, 
I'd never experienced before. I'm naturally wired as an extrovert. For most of my life, I had loved being with people, enjoyed working the crowd, and could often light up a room. That summer, I began to fear everyone. I became deeply antisocial. I resisted going out and didn't want to talk to anyone other than my wife and kids. When we did go out, say, to be with our small group, I would park the car in the driveway and beg Tony to let me not go in. And when we did go in, usually, I would try to hide my six-foot-two frame behind my five-foot-three wife, hoping she would be my shield against humanity. Perhaps the most disturbing part of my burnout was the loss of hope. I'm an optimistic person by nature, but that summer and for months afterward, hope was hard to come by. I lost hope that God could ever use me. I thought he was finished with my ministry and with me. I began to wonder if I could ever be of use to anybody for work or otherwise. A False and Deadly Friend My situation grew even darker than all that. Over a decade later, I still can't believe I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Part of me doesn't even want to admit this portion of the story is true, but it is. And I know this is an aspect of the experience far too many people can identify with. By late summer, I began to think that the best way to get through this burnout was to not go through it. Because hope had died for me in those months, I began to wonder whether that should be my preferred option as well. For the first time in my life, I began to seriously think that suicide was the best option. If I had lost hope, was no good to anyone, couldn't perform what I was expected to do, and was causing all kinds of pain to others, a conclusion that was not coming from a place of objectivity, then perhaps the best solution was to be no more. By God's grace, I've never owned any weapons. If I did, I shudder to think about what I might have done to myself in a weak moment. I'm not terribly coordinated or technically skilled, so I figured a kitchen knife would probably result in me doing things horribly wrong. In my mind, my preferred path was to take my speeding car into a concrete bridge support and end things that way. I don't know how close I came to doing it, I'm far from an expert at determining how serious a threat like that is. Although I never undid my seatbelt and never sped up far past the limit as a bridge approached, I do know that the thought of ending it that way became a false friend to me, a strange and perverse source of comfort. And in a twisted way, maybe it felt like a way of getting back at God and a life that I thought was letting me down. As I look back now, over a decade later, on how I felt at that time, it seems like it was someone else who struggled with those thoughts. It's amazing how an episode like this can play with your mind, but that's exactly what burnout does. It messes with your thinking. Its arena is your thought life, and burnout can be a merciless, savage beast. I am so grateful I didn't listen to those voices, but I share this in case you might be hearing something similar. Do the people you love a favor. Don't listen. Don't give in. Don't give up. Those negative voices are lying. That's not who you are, and that's definitely not the solution, 
even though some days it can feel like it is. Not just a 40-something issue. A few years after my burnout ended, I nervously decided to talk to other leaders about it in the hope that it might help. The first time I delivered a talk about my burnout experience, in a similar way to how I prefaced my first talk on cynicism, I introduced it by saying, if you're in your 20s or 30s, this talk may not mean a lot to you. In fact, you may just want to squirrel it away and maybe someday it could help you or a friend of yours. I wasn't ready for the mass of young adults who stood in line to talk to me after my presentation. Nearly all said, I'm feeling so much of what you described too. I had no idea. It's like burnout has become an epidemic. The more people I meet and the more I look around our culture, the more I think there may be many people suffering from burnout or what I might call low-grade burnout. By that I mean the joy of life is gone, but the functions of life continue. You're not dead, but you're certainly not feeling fully alive. The symptoms are not enough to stop people in their tracks like my burnout did to me but they're present enough to sap the meaning and the wonder out of everyday life. Show me a sign. More than a few of you listening to this know you're on the edge of the cliff we call burnout. And probably a few of you, you're in free fall right now. What's so perplexing about burnout, and especially low-grade burnout, is that more than a few of the symptoms strike people as normal. So how do you know you're heading for burnout? I'll describe 11 signs and symptoms I personally experienced as I burned out. If you recognize one or two of them, you're likely not burned out. Consider them warning signs. If you show six to eight, you might be in a low-grade burnout or heading for the cliff. If you resonate with most or all of them, you're likely in full-fledged burnout. I hope these signs can help you see the edge before you careen past it. 1. Your passion fades. Everybody struggles with a lack of passion from time to time, but burnout moves you into a place of sustained motivation loss. Remember passion? It's what made you fall in love. Stare at white clouds on a blue sky day. Jump up and down when you got accepted into the college of your choice and cry when you saw your firstborn. It's what infused your work with enthusiasm and made you a gifted, obsessive nerd at the hobby you used to pursue with a smile. Passion got you into all kinds of things, and it's one of the factors that makes both life and leadership wonderful over a long period of time. When I burned out, my passion set like the sun. I knew what I was doing was important, leading a local church, raising a family, but I couldn't feel it anymore. I realized that a passionless person would never lead a passionate life, but I just couldn't find it anymore. My passion had died. Two, you no longer feel the highs or lows. If you're healthy, you feel things. You experience highs and lows. When I burned out, I couldn't feel either properly anymore. My main emotion was numbness. It was like my emotions had become a long drive through the Great Plains, flat for endless miles. If a friend had a baby, intellectually, I knew it was an important moment that was supposed to generate joy, but I couldn't feel it. Conversely, if someone was sick or landed in trouble, 
I didn't really feel for that person either. I just felt numb. Burnout numbs your heart. And this was one of the earliest signs for me that the edge was near. The numbing of my heart was something I had battled for three or four years before I fell headlong into burnout. Even now, I watch for it as a sign that something might be wrong. You're designed to celebrate when people are celebrating and mourn when people are mourning. If that's not happening, something's not right. 3. Little things make you disproportionately emotional. It's not that burned out people feel zero emotion, but when you're burning out, you often experience inappropriate or disproportionate emotions. Leading up to and during my burnout, little things started to set me off. Something like a missed deadline or a dishwasher that didn't get emptied might be a 1 or a 3 out of 10 on the problem scale, but I reacted like it was an 11. That's never good. Treating small things like big things and big things like small things are both signs that something deeper is wrong. 4. Everybody drains you. People are a mixed bag for sure. Some energize you, some don't. I get that. On this side of heaven, that's life. But when I burned out, nobody energized me anymore. Not even my family, my friends, or my leadership team. In my head, I knew they were good people, but my heart couldn't feel it. When nobody energizes you, they're not the problem. You are. 5. You're becoming cynical. We've already explored cynicism in chapters 1 and 2, but it deserves mention as a further sign of burnout. It's not that cynicism is itself proof you're burning out. You can be a cynic for a long time without burning out. But if you find your cynicism is advancing at a rapid rate, it may be a sign you're burning out. Cynicism never finds a home in a healthy heart. 6. Nothing satisfies you. One of the hardest aspects of burnout was that nothing seemed to satisfy me anymore. Sleep didn't, prayer didn't, good people didn't, recreation didn't, vacation didn't, work didn't, food didn't. That's a sign of depression, and it's also a sign you're burned out. 7. You can't think straight. When you're burning out, your heart messes with your head, and you lose the ability to think clearly. I remember having read enough about midlife crises and burnout to know that people make stupid decisions when they're burned out, so I had a daily conversation with myself that boiled down to five words. Just don't do anything stupid. That would include things like quitting my job or screaming at people. Some days, simply avoiding stupid is a win. 8. Your productivity is dropping. One sign I knew indicated I was in burnout was my incredibly low productivity. I'm usually a fairly productive leader in person. Some would say highly productive. But when I fell into burnout, even writing a simple email sometimes took an hour. My thoughts wouldn't come together. My pace slowed right down. And I felt like there was a cloud between me and everything I was trying to do. If you're working long hours but producing little of value, pay attention. 9. You're self-medicating. In the early stages of burnout, many people turn to self-medicating to numb the pain. This might involve overeating, overworking, sexual addictions, drinking, 
impulsive spending, or even drugs. When this occurs, you've chosen a path of self-medication instead of self-care to deal with the pain. I avoided drinking drugs or sex outside my marriage. My medication was, ironically, more work, which just spiraled things downward. People who are burning out almost always choose self-medication over self-care. 10. You don't laugh anymore. This seems like such a small thing, but it's actually a very big thing. If you're burning out, you don't laugh like you used to. I remember laughing out loud one day during my recovery after listening to something on the radio. It was then that it hit me. It had been months since I laughed out loud. When you're burning out, nothing seems fun or funny, and at its worst, you begin to resent people who enjoy life. 11. Sleep and time off no longer refuel you. If you're just tired, a good night's sleep or a week or two off will help most healthy people bounce back with fresh energy. If you're burning out, sleep and time off no longer do the trick. You could have a month off when you're burned out and not feel any difference. I took three weeks off during my summer of burnout and I felt worse at the end than when I started. Not being refueled when you take time off is a major warning sign that you're burning out. Recognize yourself? Some of you might be really alarmed right now because you're registering 8 out of 11 symptoms, or maybe all 11. Some of you might be concerned for your spouse or a best friend because you recognize the symptoms in him or her. So what should you do? If you show any signs of burnout, I would encourage you to seek immediate professional help. In my view, the best help will come from a combination of the care of a medical doctor and an excellent, trained Christian counselor. Your medical doctor will help you figure out how serious your symptoms are, and a skilled counselor will help you identify the reasons and conditions that caused you to burn out. If you're in a state of burnout or nearing it, I can guarantee you that you have issues. I had a load of them. Tony had urged me to go to counseling for years before I actually went. I was too proud to go. I sent people to counseling, but I didn't want to go myself. How stupid. My wife saw issues I couldn't see. Others saw issues I couldn't see. And they were right. I was hurting others unintentionally. The truth is that we all struggle with unresolved problems. And the sooner you deal with them, the better off you and everyone around you will be. Your unresolved past will sink your future unless you deal with it. That's what my unfinished business and unexamined issues did to me. They made me work insane hours at an unsustainable pace and see people as projects rather than relationships. I became a performance addict, and God needed to speak into that space so I could use the gifts he gave me in a healthy way. Christian counselors help me get to the bottom of that. I've seen a number of different counselors over the last 15 years at different points, and each has played an instrumental role in my healing and spiritual formation. You may not need more than one, but for me, getting the right perspective at the right time has been so healing and freeing. Why do I suggest a trained Christian counselor? First of all, not all counselors are great at what they do. Check for both credentials and references. Seek a recommendation from a trusted friend. 
Second, I'm a firm believer in Christian counseling, not just because I'm a Christian, but because I believe the very heart of the problem of burnout is spiritual. If you leave Jesus out of the cure, you're leaving out much of the potential healing. Speaking of healing, how do you move out of burnout? Believe it or not, you can come back and come back more fully alive than you ever were before. That's what happened to me, and I'm not alone. And a big amen to that. When you treat your burnout, you are going to come out of it fully alive and with even more productivity than you had previously. I hope you would take time to read the entire book and subscribe to his podcast. The links are added in the show notes. Just head on to pastorpriji.com slash podcast and you will find the details there. Thank you for subscribing. It has been such a joy to bring episodes to you once in every three weeks, inspiring your creativity, inspiring your leadership, inspiring you to become a leader like Jesus himself was. On that note, I would love to invite you to join with us for our upcoming leadership conference in the month of January from the 25th to the 28th at Mumbai. You can register for the same at dreamingrevival.com slash 2022. It is going to be refreshing. It is going to help you with some practical questions and issues like the one we discussed today. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. We will see you again in three weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Hope you were blessed. Do visit pastorpreezy.com slash podcast to subscribe for more resources related to leadership and various topics.